John, for letting me come and join you. I drove from Bath this morning, so that's where I am, about three hours away. And uh, the link here is with the Mashes. We were at the same church, St. James the Less Pimlico, about 25, 27 years ago. So that's, uh, that's, that's the link to the church, if you like. I spent a lot of time going around lots of different churches. I spent, uh, so based in Bath now, but spent 20 years living in uh, what was the most dangerous country in the world. So hopefully some pictures are going to come up on the screen. I'm doing this, these pictures by means of introduction, so I don't, I don't want to dwell on that in general, but that's our charity, Transforming Burundi and Beyond. Keep going. So right in the heart of Africa. M- most of you have never heard of Burundi, probably. You've heard of Rwanda. Um, that's well known, isn't it? Rwanda genocide. Rwanda and Burundi used to be one country called Rwanda-Rundi until 1962, so no one seems to have heard about Burundi, like my wife when I first met her, she'd never heard of it. Like, what is Burundi? Is it a piece of cheese? It's about the least known country in the world. Uh, and yet, and only 300,000 people died in our genocide. So, so that, that's why Rwanda was 800,000 to a million. So, but that area of the world is the most concentrated area of bloodshed um, over the last uh, several decades. I mean, it's been... A, so I have worked... I worked expecting to die. That's quite weird, isn't it? Living expecting to die. So some of you might have you know, fled from uh, dodgy countries. Uh, most of us, that's not our reality. So part of the challenge of me as I share some quite extreme experiences is bringing it back to your reality here. Next one. Again, this is just introduction. Size of Wales, that's the country. Lived in Bujumbura. That's the longest lake in the world there, Lake Tanganyika. Next one. And that's what the whole area is known for. Keep going again. Uh, so there's my family. Uh, so that's our crew. We've got three teenagers at the moment. Uh, so if you just go back and look at my daughter there. Uh, so my daughter is named after the next one. So next one, that's, that's me in 1997 with a bit more hair, but holding, holding that, uh, that precious little girl. And I heard her story, and it blew me away. And it, that her story led to me deciding, I said to my wife, if ever we are blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after this girl. Because that girl, she started her life down a toilet. So her mother gave birth to her. must have been going through a hell of a time because she threw her away down the toilet. And the next person at university hospital toilet was about to go to the loo, and they looked down, and they saw this piece of flesh down there in the filth. And they reached down and plucked her out of the toilet. She was still alive because her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And they cleaned her off and got poo on themselves in the process. And they fed her through a straw like a little bird weighing just a couple of pounds. And she survived. And next one, that's her 18 years later. Beautiful young lady. Next one, as God wove the tapestry of our lives. She end, I held her as a baby, and then she ended up being our babysitter all those years later. Next one, we got her scholarship to the promised land, to America. She got a distinction in her degree from the pit of a toilet. Next one, she ends up uh, coming back to Burundi. Again, having held her as a baby, uh, working for us out there. And uh, next one, that's her latest chapter of her life. She's now doing her master's at uh, Newcastle in counseling. And I love telling that story because my, my friend who adopted her, who saved her life, gave her the most beautiful name. And... So that picture of, of her holding our little one, a little white one, is named after a big black one. And they share the same name. And the name that my friend gave to her is Grace. And I love that name. I don't know if any Grace is in the house. But, but Grace, the star of that girl, that, now that fine young lady's life, the star of her life is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us because it doesn't matter whether in multi-murdering, rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people in Putney or wherever you've come from this morning, we all need God's grace. 
and we can't get out of the pit by ourselves. You know, I mean, it's, it's literally a picture of the gospel, you know, separated from God, massive chasm. That rejected fetus couldn't possibly claw her way out by herself, but help came from outside. Someone reached down, and that's what, that's what Jesus did, God with flesh on, the incarnation. That's what it means, God with flesh on, him coming down. And he comes down, and he picks us up, and he cleans us off. And like that lady who cleaned her off, got poo on, on herself in the process. Jesus on the cross, he took our filth on him so that now we can be beautiful and clean and pure. And he can look at each one of us and say, that's my boy, that's my girl, made in my image of infinite worth. I love you that much. Bring it on. That is grace. That's the most powerful dynamic in the world. You don't get there. You don't get that in general from anywhere else. And that is a game changer if you encounter that grace in terms of how you could, you could live your life and experience the fullness of God. Next one. Uh, so I've just got a few books afterwards. You can come and grab those. Uh, I'll be at the back. That's More Than Conquerors. Next one is Choose Life. And I suppose uh, that's a daily devotional. That's a daily shot in the arm. This morning, we're going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you've got your Bibles. And it is actually called Choose Life. And whereas this is 365 or six uh, daily readings, uh, it's, it's like, are we going to choose? Some choices we make are completely inconsequential. Who cares? whether you had jam or marmalade on your toast. That doesn't matter this breakfast. What does matter is whether you choose faith or fear, whether you choose urgency or apathy, whether you choose life or death. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, time permitting, a, a number of choices, foundational choices this morning uh, to address our circumstances and think, how are we going to live our lives? And that passage in Deuteronomy is basically Moses addressing God's people. So in a sense this morning, I'm Moses addressing God's people. And now, I've been through lots of heavy experiences. You know, a guy came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. Uh, I drove along a road once. Forty people got killed. So I tell you, I mean it when I said I lived expecting to die. And you might think, that's a horrible way to live. It's a brilliant way to live. Because if you think you're going to die, you're not going to waste your time. You're not going to hold on to pathetic grudges. You're going to prioritize people over stuff. You're going to make today count. You're not going to binge watch some set for six hours because there's too much to live for. You're going to get out there and maximize your life. So I, I, so many lessons I learned in the extremes of Burundi that completely apply to us back here. And I hope this morning we are going to choose uh, life in, in a really healthy way. Next one. So, you know, we, you, when I say it's the hungriest country in the world, it's got the highest rate of malnutrition, it's hard for you to get that. 56% malnourishment, I can't get that. But I can get it, this picture fleshes it out, literally. That's my Canadian friend's four-year-old daughter there, that blonde-haired girl, beautiful little girl. Her name is Alma, four years old in that picture. The girl in the middle, four years old. And probably dead. Or if not dead, stunted brain development. Malnutrition. That's wrong, isn't it? That is wrong. And that elicits two emotions in me, compassion, weeping, tears, and anger, because it's wrong. And in a sense, I want to challenge us this morning, pick a fight. Don't live angry. There's a lot of anger out there. That's not what I'm saying. But, but there are things that are wrong in our society that, that we can engage with and be God's redemptive agents for transformation, bringing that grace, bringing that hope, bringing that meaning. For me, I picked a fight in Burundi. I picked that fight. And basically... You're like, why would you go out there? I went out there when I was 24 years old because I prayed a prayer. And I challenge you guys to pray this prayer. You might not even believe in God, but you could pray this prayer in integrity. My prayer was, God, if you're real, and I believed he was real, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. That was my prayer. That's the prayer that took me to the most dangerous country in the world. And I know it's the most dangerous country in the world because my mummy, when I got there, sent me a newspaper cutting. And there we were, number one. I don't know if she was trying to encourage me. Um, but anyway... Uh, my prayer was, I was in a pucker job on that, success, on, that, on that conveyor belt to success and wealth. I said, God, if you want me to go to Burundi, 
Well, let's backtrack a bit. I was praying, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. This guy trapped me down in the city in Bishopsgate. I'd never met this guy before, and he said, I believe God sent me to you. And he wants you to go to Burundi. Be involved in, in youth and outreach. Then my heart is thumping in my chest. Thinking, God, is this some nut job or is this you? And I said to him, all right, thanks, weirdo. Uh, I'll, I'll think about it. Never, never met him before. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. I went back to my job. I was in front of the computer. I said, God, right now, if that, if that wasn't a nut job, if that was you, then that means leaving family, friends, security, dosh, career, everything, going to a place where I might get killed. And I told you people are trying to kill me. So give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer if you want me to go to Burundi in this job that's got nothing to do with Africa or, or Burundi. And uh, so give me a radical sign right now. I didn't wait long. The phone rang. I picked it up. And the voice on the other end said out of the blue, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? <laughs> you know, what do you do with that? That was, that was my call. And some of you are like, you're lying. Well, you know, I could be lying, couldn't I? But you wouldn't live your life and then get married and take your, have your kids out there with you for a lie. I'm not lying to you. That is what happened. And then if it did happen, which I hope most of you would believe that I'm not lying to you, uh, then it's either a coincidence or a God incident. And again, if we haven't got a faith system to accommodate that, you'd have to say that was a coincidence. But I, most of us here would say, no, that wasn't coincidence. That was a God incident. That it was two, it's 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he wants full commitment. It's not like just part-time. It's like not just on Sundays. It's like he wants to be with us through the highs, the lows. He's given us gifts. He wants to use us. He wants, to, yeah, he, he wants to take us out there with meaning and purpose to make an impact. And for me, that's Burundi. No one else here. So let me disarm you straight away. My agenda this morning, I don't want you to come to Burundi, okay? And, um, I, and I don't want your money, okay? So you've got your gift. You know, go for that. So my, my, my experience has been, as I have given generously, I have reached generously. That's a principle. As you sow, you will reap. That's a biblical principle. So give to that. I genuinely believe that's not manipulation. You'll be blessed. I left everything when I was 24, left the country, come back to England, and someone gave me a chaffing house. I mean, what do you do with that? I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't even prayed for it. But I said, God, I know you'll provide. And he's done that. And so as you sow, as you give your life away, God blesses. So... Next one. Sorry, I, I get a bit carried away there. Um, we do loads of beautiful stuff. So that's that's. Next one again. I'm just going to share some stories, and and some stories I share are actually to challenge our worldviews because all of us in our, that's always arrogance. You know, I think my worldview, how I see reality, is reality. I think we all think that our lens, our worldview of reality, is reality. But that's that's the good thing about traveling and seeing different cultures because. I'll just tell this story to challenge your worldview, if you like. So we, we, we send out loads of people into the bush, and it's an animistic culture with a veneer of religion and Catholicism, maybe, but, but it's essentially a, a lot of animism still, which is worship of spirits and all that sort of stuff. Lots of demon possession, lots of crazy stuff. So that we, our guys showed up this village, and the witch doctor started, started doing his jujus, witchcrafty stuff. And uh, one of them said, Mizina ya Yesu, in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, this witch doctor, he fell down under the power of God. He just blitzed on the floor. And he sort of came to a few moments later and said, could you come back in two days? And two days later, he'd assembled the whole village as the spiritual authority. And at the preaching of the gospel, him burning his charms publicly, submitting to the highest power, he, 50 people in that village, gave their lives to Jesus because they saw the power of God. 
And I've seen the power of God, and I'd wish it on you in general. And I mean, God is doing stuff here. I just think in Africa, people are a lot more desperate, and they're a lot more open. And there's a whole lot of cynicism in our, in our nation. And cynicism isn't a, a fertile faith environment to see that stuff. And that's our challenge. That's one of the weaknesses of our sophisticated worldview. Next one. So I was with Louis a few months ago. Louis, Louis a year and a half ago, was blind. He was a beggar on the street. He was a widower. His, his kids had abandoned him. He, he, was, you know, he, was a, he was a loser in the world's eyes, just a, a pathetic man on the side of the road in his rags begging. And he came on one of our outreaches. Everyone knew he was blind. He came on one of our outreaches. We prayed for him. He was healed. Last Christmas, we gave him some pigs to start up a little microfinance thing. Now he's thriving. He's found some wrinkly old babe to get married to. Uh, and, and his life has transformed. The gospel changes everything. I love that. You can't deny a miracle. You can come out and meet Louis. Everyone knew it. That's the power of God. Next one. This is Francine. Francine was, was, suffered from bleeding, like that lady in the Bible that was so desperate, that precious lady. And she, she tracked down Jesus through the crowd and reached out and touched him. And pff, she was healed. She had the courage to do that. That was Francine's story, a modern-day version. And so she, her husband had left her because he couldn't have sex with her, so he'd gone to take another woman. And she was desperate. And she came on one of our outreaches, and, uh, and she reached out to God. And he pff, touched her, and she rushed home. She saw out, her, her, out her, her, her husband and said, you're coming home with me, baby. She knew she was healed. They're back together. He's come to faith through that. The gospel changes everything. It's beautiful. Next one. And I, I share these stories to challenge our worldview, and I hope to stir some faith. So this is innocent. What we do is we basically out there, we just get behind the best local people and say, how can we make your dreams come true in terms of changing the nation? And it's beautiful, and it's costly, but we've seen hundreds of thousands of people completely transformed. So this is Inosan, skinniest rake. I know we did that picture because he's so skinny, but he is healthy. But he's skinny because he's so hungry for God and he fasts so much to seek God. He's got the gift of healing. And I mean, he's got lots of stories, but I love it. Again, on one of those big outreaches we do, um, he, he, he had just finished and these two mute ladies came. Again, the whole community knew they were mute, couldn't speak. And they went, can you pray for us? So, so he left his team, said, you carry on eating. He took these girls around the corner into a side room of the church, and he said, Lord, I, I'm so desperate these precious ladies would be free from this, so I'm willing to pray for three days to not even leave this place, for three days, praying, if, if you would only have mercy and heal them. He didn't have to wait three days. After 10 minutes, they were healed. Now, he brought them around the corner, and the worship band equivalent, the church choir, were practicing. And he interrupted the church choir and he said, excuse me, I've got you two new choir members. And they said, that is a sick joke, because they knew those two ladies. And uh, so he said to the ladies, um, is there anything you want to say? And they sang, and the guys fell to their knees weeping, seeing the power of God. And that's our Jesus. It's so far removed from Putney, isn't it? And yet, it's the same Jesus. And I want to encourage you in that. Next one. Okay, keep going. One more. And uh, so, uh, Neville was just mentioning that podcast. You know, we get bombarded with bad news. And uh, I want to say, watch the news for five minutes a day. Good to know what's going on in the world to pray. But don't just feed yourself fear and depression. And that's why I've done that. And it's, it's completely mushroom because it's basically getting in beautiful stories of faith. So this last week's one was literally a, a hedge fund manager, a friend of mine, he was at his peak making a million quid a month. And the story of his incredible jet set life through brokenness, through now being the biggest uh, producer of honey in Africa, 120,000 beehives, lifting 7,000 people out of poverty. Great news. We need to feed ourselves great news and people from all sorts of different walks of life. Okay, that's kind of introduction. By the way, um, get, so get your Bibles out. We're looking at the scriptures now. What I do, having, sa having said, I don't want you to come out to Brinley. I don't want you to... Um, 
give me money. What my guys ask for out there is for prayers. I, th- I honestly believe I'm still alive because people pray. Um, and, and so wherever I go, I say, look, if, do you want to pray? Could you pray for us? And if you want to be in touch with me, and if you want to get maybe sort of eight, eight emails a year from me with some of these crazy stories that will stir you, then sign up here. So I'm just going to pass those out. Let's do rows, and then it'll be brought to the front of the row. So don't sign up if you don't want to. Some of us get too many emails, but if you want to, do sign up, and that's the benefit I'll get leaving uh, in a couple of hours' time. Right, Deuteronomy, now we're kicking in. So you've got the context, but it's not like, um, you know, That was just giving context. That was hopefully stirring faith. And it gives you a sense of my heartbeat. And this is Moses addressing God's people. And the people of God, you know, sometimes when I read about the Israelites, I think, think, what a bunch of losers they were. I mean, they saw the power of God. You remember reading Exodus? You know, they they were delivered. They had the ten plagues. The the sea was separated. The the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb, you know, the firstborn was all killed of the Egyptians, and they were protected by the blood of the lamb, which is a prefiguring of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice a couple of thousand years later. And and then then, um, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day protection. Yeah, the sea being parted, and then manna and quail provision. I mean, they saw the power of God, but so quickly... Within sort of minutes, it would seem, or days of, of things not going exactly right, exactly according to what they wanted to, how it to go, they would slip back into this default of fear and complaining and distrust. And they had a fickle faith. And I'm like, what a bunch of losers. But then I sort of self-reflect and think, I'm actually like that quite a lot. And I easily get discouraged. And I've seen the power of God. And I know he's real. And yet, when things don't go my way, I quickly lose sight of that. So it's not exactly the same, Moses addressing God's people, but I want you to hear this morning me, in a sense, being that mediator of the message of God. And I've, I've, been in, I've listened to gun battles where thousands of bullets have been sprayed, and I've, I play this weird guesstimation game of how many people are dying right now. And one, in one gun battle a couple of miles away from me, I guesstimated that maybe 100 people, 20 minutes, shells landing, and, and I, I guesstimated that 100 people had died in that battle. The next morning, I got the tweet of the dead body. And only one person had died through those thousands of bullets being sprayed. And this morning, so basically thousands of bullets had, had missed their intended destructive purpose of taking life. Do you see what I'm saying? This morning, I want, I want to spray a few, maybe six bullets at you. And my prayer isn't that all of them will hit you, because it'll just be too much in terms of challenge. I pray that in a sense, you will recognize one bullet that's got your... your, your your number, if you like, and that God wants you to hear to apply to your life. So that's what I'm shooting for. You with me? Right, so let's read. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is, nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase in the land you are are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, if if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship, then I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So this day, this is chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, this day, and this is, this is the key verse if you like, this day 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 90. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, Israelites, you ready? First bullet. Are we going to choose clarity or trust? Essentially, I think we're all control freaks. We want to know exactly where we're going in our lives. We want all our ducks in a row, if you like, and anything that deviates from that, we're bricking ourselves, and it's outside our comfort zone. And so, what I want to challenge you this morning is that I think many of you have a faith, but you're not living by faith. Now, happy for some pushback on that one. But I think many of us have a faith, but we're not living by faith. And when we choose to live by faith, it means we're, we're all in and we don't have to be in control. And be, the, the fact is, it's pretty essential for you to realize you are not in control of your life. Okay, you might think, you might aspire to be, you are not in control of your life. So much happens. I mean, the last few years have shown that uh, crystal clearly. We are not in control. But the, the joy about uh, trust rather than insisting on clarity is that there's a freedom of just being released into the assurance of knowing that God is in control. That's incredibly liberating. Now, it's difficult. It's difficult to embrace uh, the simple act of trust when we're so kind of wired to want clarity. Now, uh, let me give you an example from, I, I love this story, and this is a guy called Nick Cavanagh, and he was a brilliant ethicist, and he took time out for his job, and he went to Mother Teresa's House of the Dying in Calcutta, and it was like a career break, or he was actually looking for clarity for the next chapter of his life. And so he was really excited on the first day in Calcutta, the house of the dying, Mother Teresa, the great Mother Teresa, came up to him and, as a newbie volunteer and said, hey, uh, can, I, can I pray for you? And he was like, yeah, bring it, bring it. This is what I've traveled 6,000 miles for, for the great Mother Teresa to pray over me and prophesy into my life. He said, yeah, please, can you pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life? And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity, clarity is the last thing you're holding on to and you need to let go of. And he was like, what? I mean, you, the great Mother Teresa, it looks like you've got loads of clarity. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I have had is trust. And so I'll pray for you that you trust him. Now, straight away, that messes with our head, doesn't it? And clarity and trust, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. That's what verse, uh, verse 11 says. Now, what I'm calling you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it's pretty difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it is a stretch. But this morning, that's the first bullet. Stop insisting on being in control and embrace the uncertainty of just trusting. And it's so liberating. So I go out to this war zone, it's nuts. I am so out of control, but I'm dangerously alive. And I'm seeing God's power at work and amazing answers to prayer because I'm not, I haven't got it all together. I haven't got the money to do this or that. I haven't got the assurance of protection. And it's just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. It doesn't mean that I didn't weep a lot. It doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of pain and brokenness and disillusionment and disappointment. I mean, that's all. That's, a part. that's, that's, that's our journey. Life's messy, isn't it? So clarity or trust, that's the first one. Next one, obedience or disobedience. And that would be verses 16 to 18, where I'll paraphrase. Basically, if you obey, if you follow the Lord's 
uh, commands, it's going to go a whole lot better than if you disobey. And in fact, the consequences of disobedience for the Israelites was that only, only beyond the age of 20, only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. All the others, because of their unbelief and their disobedience, they ended up spending that 40 years in the desert. So consequences are high. Are we going to obey or are we going to disobey? And listen, obedience uh, is, is uncomfortable, isn't it? Because it means I'm not actually Lord of my life. It means submitting to a higher power, a higher authority. And what does that look like for you in terms of um, finances, in terms of prioritization of uh, relationships, in terms of career path, in terms of, I don't know, just, just apply it to your own situation? Where is he challenging you on an area of obe- obedience? And you, you know, either through inaction or through positive rebellion, uh, that you have disobeyed. That's the next one. All right, now, how about this one? Cynicism or action. The Israelites were such a cynical bunch of people. Now, listen, I didn't say cynicism or optimism because the antidote to cynicism isn't optimism. It's action that's rooted in hope. Now, listen, I'm so preaching this onto myself. It's so easy to become cynical. I think we Brits, we, we, we're, we're, so, we're so cynical. We're cynical about politics. We're cynical about any institution. We, we, there's, but the problem with cynicism is that it's so easy to be a cynic and then to just cop out and look after yourself and not engage with what's around you. That's, that's a very comfortable default of the cynic. And if you like, you could group the world into two bunches of people, cynics and saints. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, it's the power, it's the possibility of hope. Hope that is rooted in the fact that as you know the most hopeless time maybe was when Jesus was in the grave and he promised so much and was he going to deliver and people just thought that was the end and it was another movement that hasn't delivered but no our hope is because he rose conquering sin conquering death conquering the devil and showed that uh, he is lord of all now I'm not going to say put your hands up if you're a cynic, but I know there's loads of cynics amongst us. Is that bullet for you? Take it on the chin. Next one. Faith or fear. This is massive. You Londoners, you, us, us Brits, I know that we've got lovely diversity of, of, of nations here, but, you know, we have been fed, particularly through COVID, an incredible dose of fear through the media. This is not, listen, this isn't controversial, so I might bristle a bit out of it, uh, but lots of behavioral psychologists were employed to, to, to induce a certain behavior pattern, and it was using fear as a motivational force. That's not saying that COVID wasn't incredibly serious. I'm not a COVID denier and thing, but what I want to say is that we, our brains have been programmed to be even more fearful than it was before COVID. Constantly coming out of that COVID season, it's quite hard to rewire and unprogram that level of fear. And I I see us in the church as well as outside the church as crippled by fear. And our birthright as followers of Jesus to be free from fear is to live by faith. So I can drive along the most most dangerous road in the world. And my colleague leans across with a a glint in his eye and says, Simon, isn't isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. Isn't that right? No one can touch us unless God allows it. And then he's in control. And for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what Paul writes. And so we don't need to be afraid. Literally, hakuna matata. You know, ain't no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna matata. And listen, a lot of us are afraid. 
And I just want to change the fear to concern. It's legitimate to be concerned about your financial situation, but don't be afraid. God promises, if we walk in obedience to him, he promises that he will meet not all our wants, but all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Trust him. We're fearful about the future. We're fearful of death. We're fearful of all sorts of different things. And this, this morning, I'd love it that you would hear the voice of God, if that bullet's for you, to be free from the shackle of fears. Fear of what our neighbors think of us, what people are going to say. It's like, be free. It's incredibly liberating to march the beat of a different drum, whether it's literal fear of danger in a war zone, whether it's here in our culture and context in Putney. Next one, urgency or apathy. Urgency or apathy. And the Israelites, again, they were such a, an apathetic bunch. I mean, they, they did have sporadic bursts of urgency, didn't they? So when pharaohs cracked charioteers were at their backside, sort of leg, they were legging it in the desert. But actually, once they got through, very quickly they, they slipped back into this sort of languid apathy. And I wonder this morning, ask yourself this question. If we had a, a scale of this end, passionate urgency to make our lives count, this end... And sharing our faith and trying to bring, bring, bring the kingdom of God in, ushering the kingdom. Uh, so passionate there and sort of, sort of slightly apathetic that end. Where would you self-diagnose? And I suppose what I'd love this morning is for us to be awakened to the reality of the stakes being high. You know, I once, pre- I once preached on the Congolese border parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25. Do you remember that parable? Those, those ten girls, they all had a role to play. They were all invited, but five girls just weren't ready. They didn't have enough oil in their lamps. So when the belated wedding party arrived, uh, those girls had to rush off and buy some more oil. And, and in the meantime, those that were ready, they went in, the door was shut, and it was party time inside because that's a picture of the kingdom. And then the girls that were coming late, they knocked on the door. They said, hey, can we come in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now, some of Jesus' teachings are multi-layered and nuanced and complicated. Others are not. This is, this is one of those seriously not rocket science parables that he was telling. People would have understood it. And my, my point as I preached on the Congolese border was threefold. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when. But are you ready? That's the important thing. Are you ready? Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Now, a whole bunch of people responded that morning. Two days later, I'm on my motorbike. I'm heading towards that village. And I'm stopped at a, at a military checkpoint. I said, you cannot proceed any further because there's been a rebel incursion from the Congo. The FNL have come and they've killed all those people. And it, it struck me as never before the sheer urgency of our message because on the Sunday, they're hearing, Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? And two days later, in a sense, he came. Now, That's probably not going to happen, is it? You're not going to have a rebel attack down the high street on Tuesday here, are you? But where's your urgency? And I've been in Putney. I mean, I have lived in London, so I know your context. But I've been in Putney now for two hours. And in Burundi, I listen to literal gunfire and bombs. Here, if you've got eyes to see, I can see those bombs falling all over your community. Apathy, distraction, comfort, materialism, it just goes on and on. And if you've got eyes to see, then you're going to want to live, live, choose life. That's what it's about, isn't it? Where are you on that continuum? May this morning you feel a sense of pushing to live more fully alive and to share this message we have with other people, not because we're any better than anyone else. 
as followers of Jesus. We're just better off because we march the beat of a different drum. We know where we're going. We know where we're headed. We're freed from the need to perform. Our identity is not in what we've done. It's in who we are, which is we're a child of the king, and there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. We've, oh, it's such a good package. Next one, gratitude or grumbling. Now, again, we Brits, some of you are not Brits, but we Brits, our national pastime, what is it? It's moaning. We are so good at complaining. We are amongst the most blessed people in the history of humanity. The Israelites are pretty good at it as well. So quick to moan. I mean, God provided for them food, manna, and quail. Within a few days, it's like, oh, come on, God, give us, give us a Big Mac or something. They, you know, they wanted more variety. They just, bunch of moaners. Now, listen, the biggest gift Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. So when this guy said he was going to cut out my eyes, that wasn't a fun experience. You know, I had some nightmares. I had to change where I lived for a while and, and uh, whatever. But, but, but I thank God for that experience because for the first time in my life, faced with the imminent loss of these two little things, I thanked God for the gift of eyesight. It's a gift, isn't it? It's not a right. Are you with me? And the problem with us in this entitlement culture with so many blessings is that we do feel entitled to everything, to happiness and security and, and provision of all, all that we need and, and purpose and all those things. And so when we don't get what we want, it's an affront of my divine right to this or that, which is why we're grumpy. And so when I had that extreme experience, it's like, well, I've, I don't think, Lord, I ever thank you that I can see. And now... Faced with the imminent loss of these things, I was like, I thank you, Lord, that I can see. And then it, what it made me do, it made me go through. Sometimes I'd preach on Romans 12, which is, therefore, in view of God's mercy, get on the altar, surrender your life. And the Greek word for mercy in that passage is actually plural, it's mercies. So for you grumblers in the house, those that particularly struggle with this, this is an incredible life skill that will completely change your life if you adopt it. Next time you're tempted to complain or moan or be self-pitying, as we all are, then go through the mercies of God in your life. Just go through the grace gifts of God in your life. You know, you've got 10 of those things in your house that you turn and clean, life-giving water comes out. You don't have to walk two or three hours with a jerry can in your head to get clean water. The unreached people group that we brought the gospel to out there, they had a life expectancy of 27 before we engaged with them, largely because they didn't have clean water. Thank you, Lord, for those things. And thank you that I have... Um, that I can read and write. I'm guessing everyone here can read and write. I think of one, a 15-year-old girl in one of our camps. She stood up, she confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid to pay her school fees. And I don't judge that girl at all. All of you precious girls, you probably would have done the same because otherwise you'd be illiterate in first grade. There's no, there's no room to judge. And we've got freedom in this nation to say, Jesus is Lord, let's use that freedom. 350 million Christians in the world live, live under oppressive regimes. Are we using that freedom? We've got access to the National Health Service as my partner. Three quid for the medicine across the counter in the pharmacy. I've had that disease umpteen times. That's sick and wrong. I've got the three quid, so I'm still alive. And we moan about the National Health Service. And, I mean, in a sense, next time you're moaning about the National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and giving you a punch in the face. Say, let's just, let's be grateful. There's so much to be grateful for. Do you know what I mean? In view of God's mercies, clothes, loads of clothes, I've got a picture of a young girl. She arrived at the orphanage. She'd never taken the clothes off her back. Food. Another picture of a young lad. You know, he, he, would, he, he was found on a rubbish dump where he'd been eating mud for a year and they had to cut the stones out of his gums. 
So don't feel guilty about what you've got. That's the last thing we need is a guilt trip. Religion is often wielded as a tool of, of inducing guilt. That's not what we're about. In fact, let's move to the next bullet on that one. So that was uh, gratitude or grumbling. Last couple. Um, and this one is, is rules or relationship. Because as we look at verses 14 to 16, you could misunderstand the Jesus message. And clearly, this passage is before the arrival of Jesus, but it's a prefiguring and it's a leading up to. And, and you could misunderstand that as do good and you'll be okay. And this is really important for us to understand, is that it's, it, the choice is between rules and relationship. And loads of people in church across the world, in the broadest sense across the world, hundreds of millions will have gone to a place of worship this morning and, and they will have thought that, all right, I go to this, I tick a box, and then that's, that's my ticket. Now, that's not a great reason to go. Now, a hun- hundreds more millions will have gone to a place of worship this morning, and they, what they s- would articulate, if pushed to it, would sound more plausible, but it's still wrong. They'd say the Old Testament was about rules, the New Testament's about relationship. The Old Testament was law, the New Testament was grace. That sounds more sophisticated. Eh-eh. It was always relationship. So in Deuteronomy chapter 9, a few chapters earlier, God says to the Israelites, don't think I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else. I just love you. I just want relationship. So in in Burundi, there's loads of uh, domestic violence, and it's very normal to beat up your wife. And amazingly, you have to say that from the front. You know, that's wrong. You can't do that. And this one lady, this precious lady, she was in a, a violent marriage, and it was very dysfunctional. And essentially, the husband beat her up pretty much every day of their married life. And the reason was, was that before he went out in the morning to work, he would write a long list of tasks that she had to accomplish. And she would work her butt off during the day to accomplish everything on that list, but she never did it to his satisfaction. He'd come back in the evening, tick, 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 eh, eh, and he would beat her. And I think we can say... Praise God, he died. And she was released from that broken marriage. And in due course, a few months later, she actually met a really loving man who never laid a finger on her inappropriately, who nurtured her and encouraged her, and they got married. And a few months into their marriage, she actually she said one morning, I am going to blitz the house. I'm going to give it a real spring clean. And from dawn till dusk, she worked hard. And, and just before the end of the day, before her husband was coming back from, from work, Behind the sofa, she pulled out a crumpled, scrumpled piece of paper. Can you guess what it was? It's one of the old lists from the horrible first husband. And with trembling hands, literally bricking herself, she opened it up. Traumatic memories coming back. And she started going down that list and ticking things off. And can you guess what? She'd done it all. What she had never been able to do, shackled by the fear of impending judgment and condemnation and punishment, in the context of a loving relationship, she'd done it all. Brothers, sisters, this morning, some of us are not stuck with that extreme version of that first husband, but it's, we've got a slightly twisted view of the Father heart of God. And he's a good God and he loves you. And it's all about relationship. It's all about grace. There's a lovely story at the end of the the book called uh, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And it's uh, in the American system of education. You've got this guy, Steve Brown. He's got his daughter, Robin. And she's doing this English literature class. And uh, she feels consumed with uh, incapacity to be able to do this class. And and so it's it's ruining her quality of life. And he's a dad. What would I not do for my daughter who's suffering? So... He took her in to, to meet with a lovely Jewish professor lady who was very wise, and he says, ma'am, can we have a word? And, and, 
about Robin, and the lady could see that she was on the edge of tears, so she dismissed the class, and then uh, Steve said to her, ma'am, please, can, 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 I, can I get my daughter out of this class? It's ruining her life. She's not eating, she's not sleeping, she's anxious, panic attacks. Please, can she do something else to fulfill the course requirements? And the lady listened and then said, look, could I just have a word with, with Robin first? Robin, do you think you could do this course if I gave you an A before you even started the course? How about that? I give you an A up front. You're guaranteed an A. Could you do the course then? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, Robin, off you go. You've got an A. Robin walks out. A lady turns to, to Steve and says, listen, Steve, I, I, I know Robin. She's going to be fine. And I've just taken away the fear. And the lovely ending of that story is that Robin went on and made straight A's on her own merit in that course. And why am I telling you that? Think. It's because when Jesus died on the cross, that meant that we have an A up front if we want it as well. That is a game changer. In his life, by his death, through his resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the A, the everything that we come into this world longing for and yet are incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the significance, the meaning, the comfort, the joy, all that, that's already secured for us in Christ. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian, which is the unconditional, undiluted grace of God in the completed work of Christ. So the banner under which, which followers of Jesus live reads, it is finished. Relax and rejoice. You're free. Brenda, give me a hallelujah. I mean, that was amazing. That was amazing. Some of you got really glum faces. I mean, flipping it, that's just incredible. You've already got an A, and that is a game changer. And so last one, last one, last story, last bullet, verse 19. This day, today, now, as we close and pray together and respond in worship. I call heaven and earth as witnesses that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, so choose life. Choose life. These last two bullets kind of underpin all the others, in a sense. All these bullets apply to all of us, but my question is what bullet is for you and what you're going to do about it? So it's not just in one ear, out the other. But last story. And in an African village, there was a, a fire in a house one night, and the house burnt down two stories. And amidst the screams of the family that caught upstairs, um, people tried to rescue them, but they, the whole family got burnt alive. Apart from, apart from at the last minute, someone managed to get in and pluck out the baby boy. And so the next morning... The whole village gathered around the smoldering remains of that house. And a heated debate ensued about who would have the right to adopt this baby boy because according to the worldview of you know, that animistic bunch of people, uh, the, there was significant baraka, blessing, attached to that baby boy because the ancestral spirits had allowed him to survive. So the, so the witch doctor's like, let me have this boy. I'm going to nurture his psychic gifts. But the chief was like, hang on, I'm the chief, and I'm going to have him. And the richest man in the village, well, hang on, I've got the most money, so I can provide him with the best education, so let me have him. But the neighbor said, well, hang on, his father had an unpaid debt to me, and I will take the boy, the baby boy, in lieu of that payment. 
But then, this nobody on the social ladder strata, this sort of loser in the world's eyes, stepped forward and quite authoritatively said, no, the boy is mine. Who are you? We know you. I mean, we know who you are, but you're a nobody. What could possibly be your claim on the baby boy's life? And he did not have to say much. He just opened his hands. And his hands were blistered and burnt and charred. And he said, the boy is mine because... I saved him. And Jesus' hands this morning, they're not blistered, burnt, charred, but what are they? Pierced. And this morning, he says to each one of us, every single one of us, wherever we are on our journey, we could not even think we've started on our spiritual journey, but he says, you're mine. I love you so much. How much do I love you? Arms wide on the cross. And he says, you are mine because I saved you. That's what I went to the cross for. And I chose death so that you could choose life. I became a curse so that you could walk in blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm out of here. But that's a few bullets for you to chew on. Wrong mixed metaphor there. But which bullets for you and what are you going to do about it? Clarity or trust? Obedience or disobedience? Faith or fear? Urgency or apathy? Grumbling or gratitude? Rules or relationship, life or death. Choose life. Why don't you stand? And uh, you music guys, you want to come up? And please don't check out, because now we've got time to, to, to sort of invite, I mean, God's obviously everywhere and always everywhere, but in a, in a heightened sense of reality, to welcome his presence as we respond And that response could just be being sat there and praying away, asking God what bullets for you. But I'm going to lead uh, in a prayer now, and then may we just meet with God in whatever way. He's he's gentle, he's gracious and compassionate, he's slow to uh, slow to anger, abounding in love. So Lord, even the act of standing right now, we're saying, Lord, we're open, hopefully we're open. And uh, that prayer that took me to Burundi, Lord, I pray that everyone would have the courage to pray that prayer, which is, I'm not going to bargain with you, but I'll do anything, if you're real. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Thank you, Lord, for the unbelievable gift of an A up front in a performance culture where we're always striving to match up, that you say, you've already got an A. Thank you that you accomplished that on the cross. Thank you that you chose death so that we could choose life. And I want to speak life over us as a community, whether we're here as visitors or whether we're uh, long-term members. Whatever stage of our lives we're at, Lord God, may we choose life. And Lord, forgive us where we've insisted on being in control, on clarity when you're saying, no, 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 just, just, just trust me. Lord, forgive us where we've walked in disobedience, either consciously or by dint of not following through uh, and it's slipping. But I, want, I choose obedience costly obedience maybe. And Lord, forgive me for my cynicism. I don't want to live cynical. It's so deathly and negative. 
And so I choose action today, action that's rooted in hope. And Lord, forgive me for my apathy and move me along that continuum towards urgency. And Lord, break the shackles, the chains that mean that on so many levels I'm living by fear when my birthright is faith. Oh, may I live free from faith. And Lord, I'm, I'm again, grumbling. It's so energy-sucking and dark. And Lord, I want to choose gratitude. And I am so grateful because, because it's about relationship and not rules. And it's not performance-linked. It's all grace. I've already got that A. And so I choose life. Lord, may we all choose life. And would you minister to us now as we respond in song. Come, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome. Speak to us. What bullets for me? What am I going to do about it? Search our hearts, Lord God, and lead us in the way everlasting. Come, Holy Spirit.